You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we got a lot of stuff going on today. We got a bunch of news and notes, which is fantastic. A lot of exciting things going on around the NFL. Got a lot of great questions in the Facebook group. And then, um, I don't know, man. I, I woke up this morning, was just kind of lurking around on Twitter, trying to convince myself, please get out of bed. Please get out of bed. Don't go back to sleep. Sometimes I'll just stick my phone in my face and hope that something interesting happens so that I don't fall back asleep. And I found something on Twitter just randomly that I thought was kind of interesting. I'm a little concerned because I feel like it's probably really stupid and not worth talking about. You know how sometimes you wake up and you think that your dream is the most profound thing that's ever happened in the world? And um, you start like telling somebody and halfway through telling them your brain all the way wakes up and is like, what are you doing? Like, I'm telling them that the thing, we're going to write a movie. It's going to be amazing. And your brain's like, what? That's not a movie. Nobody would watch that movie. Not even like some indie garbage. That's, this is, this is nothing. Like you, you did a backflip and became an elephant and can't swim. I don't understand why you're telling people. That's not profound. You didn't invent anything. No, it's the new thing. I don't know. <laughs> so we'll we'll give it a shot here. Also, some just a little strategy if you want a question answered, just throwing it out. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. If that is true, that that's when my brain is at its most like, whoa. Maybe hit me up in the DMs at like 10 o'clock at night. Make sure I'm sound asleep so that the first thing when I wake up completely out of my mind tired, I see your message and it just blows my mind. And I rush down here because we must talk about this. And I'm going to leave out the Twitter handle and all that, not because of spite or anything like that, just, I, I, it might come off negative and I don't want to like trash anybody. It's just, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about. And, um, I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm going to have people flooding his Twitter and attacking him or something stupid. I don't know. Maybe you saw the interaction. You probably did because he was responding to a pretty big account, but he says, no context included. Please show me the last quarterback that won a Super Bowl that had a 30 million plus cap hit. Closest that I can find is Brady this year at $25 million. It is a business on both sides, and the Green Bay Packers are in the business of winning Super Bowls. Now, that last part was kind of confusing. It looks like his clarification later doesn't make it sound like... I don't know. I don't know. I'll, we'll leave the last part out because I'm confused by that. But in a sense, it's kind of similar to the running back argument where you never pay running backs, but it's like you never pay quarterbacks too much. Um, this particular argument is not good. And I just kind of want to run through it because it's kind of a thought exercise. Again, he, he kind of clarifies later, which is even more interesting. But let's just start here. A couple things come immediately to mind. Number one, $30 million against the cap. I remember when $30 million was a massively big deal. I don't remember who the first one to crack it was, but there was like a group of guys. And it was like, you've got to be kidding. $30 million was such a... It's kind of like Mahomes getting $50 million And it's like, you're... This is... What are you talking about? But it wasn't even Mahomes. It was, it was, there was a trio of guys that I remember. I know Jimmy Garoppolo got paid by the 49ers 
and the guy had not hardly played anything. I don't know if he was exactly 30 or, or where exactly he was, but that was a that was a big one. And it was like, are you out of your mind? Matt Stafford might have been the first one to crack it. That was ridiculous. And then Jared Goff was another one. It was there was a group of guys in that range. But it was just like, this is insane. $30 million. Oh, my goodness. And, and Rodgers at one point, I don't know if it was the, I don't remember which contract it was, but he was like tickling that 30 mark. I think his was even prior to, and it was like, you guys are insane, man. That's way too much money. Now 40 is like the new number. But the first point is you got to try to even find quarterbacks that are touching 30 million. So you, you can only go back so far is the first point. Because, at, at you know, you go back 10 years ago, Nobody was even making that. The other point you could make is Patrick Mahomes, and you can make it on both ends. Number one, the guy won a Super Bowl on his rookie contract. Had he gotten paid a year prior, which wouldn't have happened because he already got paid massively early, but if he had gotten paid a year prior, that would have just completely blown this whole thing up. Secondly, the guy did get paid, and they were in the Super Bowl again, and of course they could win, and, and they could win this year, and Rodgers and the Packers can win this year. So just from a talent standpoint, it's still possible to win. I, don't th- I think it would be ridiculous to say the Packers can't win because they can't have enough talent because Rodgers sucks up all the money. They have a lot of talent right now. I mean, I, I get the argument, and it's absolutely true. I mean, it's just it's basic mathematics. It's going to be harder to stock a team when you have less money, right? I mean, that's just that's common sense. Subtract what you're paying your quarterback, and you can do this with any position. The more you pay anybody, the less money you have for, you know, I mean— Obviously, quarterbacks take up the most money, but look at edge rushers. Edge rushers are making upwards of 25, 27 million. Wide receivers, 27 million bucks now. But yeah, the, the more money that a quarterback takes up, the less you have for everyone else. But you can mitigate that uh, at least a little bit with good cap management, number one, and especially with good drafting. If you draft well, you get really, really cheap guys who are really, really good. The fact that we have Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, Rashawn Gary. Elton Jenkins. I mean, we got several guys on rookie contracts that are very good football players. Robert Tunyon, Alan Lazard. I mean, how many producers making close to no money? I mean, big time producers. Kamal Martin, I thought, did a good job. I mean, Kevin King hasn't been all that great, but he still hasn't gotten his big paycheck yet. So again, you can make the argument that it's harder. And also you haven't seen a team win, but I mean, you can do that with a lot of things, man. Again, just look at the teams that have quarterbacks making 30 plus million. First of all, there's not many making 30 million. That's that's the first thing. Um, in 2021, there are four quarterbacks that hit that mark. One is Matt Ryan. Obviously, that's a joke. But you got Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and Kirk Cousins. So again, not that great of an example. But number two, Aaron Rodgers clearly can win. And if you look at the other teams, Matt Ryan's not the problem with that team. 40 million is stupid. For, I mean, it's 41 technically. It's 40.9. Uh, but the problem with Atlanta isn't Matt Ryan. And it's not that they have no money. It's that they've done a terrible job building that team and coaching that team. And it's just completely fallen apart. I mean, a lot of what they have is still have the same talent. They just don't know what to do with it anymore. Matt Ryan's the only thing good with that team. And no, again, it's not because, well, if they had a bunch of money, they'd go out in free agency. Free agency isn't how you build teams anyway. It has nothing to do with it. Money has nothing to do with your inability to draft players that come in and contribute. Same with Russell Wilson. I mean, they're spending money in Seattle. It's just not doing anything. They're trying to fix the offensive line, and they can't. They're trying every day, every day with this computer doing that. Your little doodle-a-doos nonsense. Well, I'm not doing that, so get over it. Conversely, teams with a lot of, I mean, this is the other side of the argument. 
if you were to assume that paying quarterbacks too much is a hindrance, then paying quarterbacks not enough should be great for your team. Was that true for Washington and Dwayne Haskins? Where's all the talent in Washington? I mean, Lamar's making $3 million bucks. <laughs> you would think with Lamar making $3 million this year and Aaron Rodgers making, uh, what did I say, 30, 37 and a half, which is absolutely painful. You'd think Baltimore would have massively, massively better talent than the Green Bay Packers do, and they don't. So it's it's not incomplete, entirely untrue, but it's also silly to say once you cross the $30 million mark, you can't win Super Bowls. That's not true. Minnesota, Seattle, and Green Bay are good football teams. They are. I know Minnesota was garbage last year, but they lost a lot of players. I think if they can get a couple things right, I think they are a good football team. Seattle's a good football team. They're just, they're lacking so much talent. Again, not because they have money tied up in quarterback. They've been lacking talent for five years. They were lacking talent in 2019 when his cap hit was $26 million also. So again, I'm, I'm not going to completely dismiss it because, I mean, it's, it's, it's basic facts. It's basic math that more money you have tied up in one spot is less money for other spots. But again, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. I think it makes things harder. There may be a breaking point and a point of no return. If you look a little bit later, he kind of goes on to say because somebody calls him out and apparently he does more more homework and comes up with a better answer. But uh, somebody says, great stat. How many teams in the entire history of the league have had quarterbacks with a cap hit of over $30 million to this point? And again, just to kind of illuminate that, four guys this year are over $30 million. So it's kind of a silly thing to say. But then he goes on to say, the last 10 Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, the only one greater than 14% of the cap is Brady in 2014. So percentage of the cap would be a better way to look at. And that is interesting, especially when you talk about Aaron Rodgers eating up 20% of the cap. It is getting very unhealthy. And it also goes to show exactly why Jordan Love makes a good amount of sense. Again, I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere, but we didn't know the guy was going to be an MVP. I'll say this a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand times more. Aaron Rodgers was not playing anywhere near MVP level for the last five years prior to this past year. The Green Bay Packers did not know he would reach this level. You're talking about a guy that may continue to fall off, who may be getting, you know, maybe we go in the wrong direction. If things don't go well as far as personality, in terms of his play, in terms of injury, in terms of whatever, and you're talking about 20% of our salary cap, eh, I don't know about that, boss. Now, we don't exactly know exactly what the percentage is because we don't even know what the salary cap is, but but it's roughly that, I guess, based on what their projections are. So I guess long story short, I, I, I just don't really buy it because, again, are you saying the Packers can't win a Super Bowl? No, that's just, that's not a thing. So yes, it's harder to stack talent if the goal is to go out and, and, and just let, let's, let's do this exercise. Remove Aaron Rodgers. Right? We, I mean, we can't win because he's, he's too much, right? 20% of the cap. So remove him. What are we going to do? What's, what's the play here? And forget the dead cap. We get $37.5 million just, just handed to us, but no Aaron Rodgers. You can do whatever you want with it as long as you don't bring in a quarterback that's more than 14% of the cap, I guess, is the number. So let's say $26 million is the most you can pay a quarterback. And considering we're about 10 negative, you got about $10 million, $10 million to spend. Actually, that brings us to about even, but you know, whatever, we'll, we'll give you the other 10 to play with. Are we better off or worse off? So again, there's, there's a lot of ways that you can attack this. I just, I, I just, I don't think that's a thing. It's a consideration. There's definitely a limit and there's no question as much as we want to bl- blame, you know, going all in, in other words, blaming Zadarius and Preston for not having money. Aaron Rodgers is sucking up a fifth of the cap by himself. 37 and a half million dollars. 
He's making as much as the next two guys combined, Zadarius and Devontae. That bring th- those two are thirty-eight million. Rogers is making thirty-seven. So I still think it's interesting, and I still I, I have looked back at percentages and whatnot. Um, I do recognize that Aaron Rodgers is being paid just a stupid amount of money. And it's not even so much the pay; it's it's the cap hit right now. It's painful. If you go back, for example, and look at Brett Favre, the highest year ever in terms of percentage of the cap was 14.1%, which again would be about $26 million in today's money. Imagine that. Brett Favre, who was like breaking, breaking barriers of, of contract dollars, at his highest in today's dollars would be about $26 million. The highest I can find for Drew Brees is $16.4 million. That's about $30 million for what we're talking about today. His highest actual cap dollar hit, which is kind of blowing my mind, biggest cap hit I can find is $24 million. So, I mean, obviously we're getting to a point where where 37 is not that big of a deal, but in terms of a cap hit today, that's crazy. And you talk about, well, Pat Mahomes is making 40, Dax make, or Pat Mahomes is, what was it, 45, Dax making 40 million a year. Yeah, but cap hit, as far as his cap hit, he doesn't even hit 30 million until next year, and that's 31 million. He's going to go up to 42.4, but based on cap projections, that's 17%, which is higher than 14 for sure, but it still doesn't reach what Aaron Rodgers is getting paid this year. 39.9 in 2024, which is pretty close to what Rodgers is making, and that's, again, in 2024, projected to be about 15.6% of the cap. So, I mean, that this is a, I don't want to say historic, but I'm having a real hard time finding a guy who got paid more as a quarterback in terms of cap hit than Aaron Rodgers this year. Obviously, Matt Ryan, which is just stupid, but whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. The Falcons aren't going to do anything anyways, but it's just, that's that's brutal. But anyways, again, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing, and it's definitely something worth looking into. And he's not wrong. I mean, you, you don't want to just get reckless with how much you're paying a quarterback because it will cripple what you can do. I mean, the Packers are kind of crippled right now, and no question a big part of that is Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers was paid a reasonable amount of money, his cap hit, would be about $26 million. You say, well, that's crazy for Aaron Rodgers. Well, I mean, everybody else that's getting paid, Tom Brady's cap hit is 28. It's $11 million less than Aaron Rodgers. Pat Mahomes is 24. Matt Stafford is at 20. Deshaun Watson is at $15.9 million this year. Drew Brees, 12.2. I know they just restructured and all that stuff, and he's on his way out. But, I mean, I'm just trying to find good quarterbacks. Baker's at 10. Kyler's at 9. I know, I know they're rookies, but I'm just, again, there's just, Nobody's paying quarterbacks that much right now. And even the ones that are dishing out big-time money, like the the Chiefs, 24.8. Tannehill got some money. He's only getting 29.5 right now. Again, remember, it wasn't that long ago Jimmy got big-time pay. $26 million is what his cap is at right now. Dak got what a lot of people think is an unreasonable amount of money. Um, if we look at what he got paid, his cap hit this year is $22 million. That's nothing. Next year, it goes up to 33 That's 14%. The next year it goes up to 44, which again is insane. That's so much money. And it is probably too much. It's 18%. It's still not compared to what Rodgers is getting this year. It goes up to 47 in 2024, still just 18%. And then it drops to 13. So Dak will never hit, unless the cap just doesn't grow like it's being anticipated to, but I think it's going to. If the cap stagnates again, then yeah, all these numbers go out of whack. But even so, Dak with his crazy contract, who's going to hit $47 million against the cap before he's done in Dallas, still doesn't reach what Rodgers is getting paid this year in terms of a percentage. So again, it's, it, it wasn't reckless to get, to get a quarterback. We, you know, it's, it's an option.
Now, his cap hit does go down a little bit in terms of percentage. Again, this is all speculation in terms of what the um, cap is going to be, but I believe it goes down to about 17%, supposed to be, next year, even though it goes up to 39 but that's still, again, a massive amount of money. And we're hoping there's a giant cap bump, and there's some reason to believe there might be, for two reasons. We'll use that as a segue, because I think I've made my point. Number one is that COVID news is fantastic lately. I don't know why nobody wants to talk about that. It's kind of annoying, but COVID news since like December has been unbelievably positive. In some places like Wisconsin, basically since November, it's been plummeting. And obviously there is almost a direct inverse relationship to um, the vaccine and the, the COVID numbers, but whatever. Point is, the numbers are just crashing everywhere. Also, the CDC is coming out with more and more news as they look into stuff about the vaccine. I don't know how much stock I put into what they're saying, but they tend to believe, at least today, that if you got the vaccine, you can hang out with unvaccinated people. It'll probably be good as long as they're low risk, right? So if grandma didn't get it, eh, maybe not. If you are grandma, you want to go hang out with the kids, go for it. Kids will be fine. That's great news for the prospect of being able to go to big events. I, I don't think anybody, even myself, who's pretty optimistic about this COVID stuff, expected it to be this good this fast. And, uh, you know, politicians are still making it seem like this is going to last forever. Wisconsin had 188 cases yesterday. Now, it's going to bump back up because that's technically for the weekend, but that's still, that's the lowest it's been. Let's see, when's the last time we saw 188? Gotta keep going, 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 going. My goodness, we're going way back here. I cannot find it. We're all the way back into May. Oh, oh, 150 something. So about mid-May was the last time we saw cases this low in Wisconsin. Mid-May. I think I found one in June for 141, but they're just these tiny little blips. Um, last time we were averaging about that was in April. Like a month after this started was the last time we were this low. The U.S. had a little bit of a spike yesterday for some reason, probably a state that went nuts. But um, the day before was 40,000. 40,000 total cases in the entire country. January 14th, California had 40,000 cases. Yesterday, the United States had 40,000. Are you getting what I'm saying, though? Very good news. California had 40,000 cases. A month and a half later, the entire country has 40,000 cases. So it's working, right? In, in remarkable fashion, it's working. And I know we want to keep fighting about it. We want to keep arguing about it. But it's fantastic news for a, for a group of people that would love nothing more than to flood stadiums full of people to be able to be reckless and stupid again because this thing is just, it's nothing. It's smashed, it's crushed, it's decimated. It's looking up. Hopefully this thing doesn't, you know, kind of taper and then spike. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? But that's the first bit of very, very, very good news. And again, I, I spend time talking about it because I'll talk about that to people and they're like, are you serious? What are you talking about? That's not, is that true? <laughs> it's just crazy. But, you know, news doesn't make money when they talk about good news, I guess. I don't know. The second bit of news that's interesting, um, Adam Schefter said, said yes, yeah, yesterday, quote, one league source on the Dak Prescott deal said, you know what this is? This is Jerry Jones tipping off the extraordinary TV deal that is coming. In other words... Dak Prescott getting the money is a sign that Dak Prescott is aware. I mean, obviously, he's aware of what the negotiations are. He understands what the money is. And he got enough information to say, we're about to get paid and said, Dak, you got a big guy. Now, I don't know if that has to be the case. I think 
most of us were expecting a deal to get done anyways. I don't think this surprised anybody. But it is interesting because I don't know exactly what was holding off Dallas anyways. And I know we are getting close to understanding what the dollars are and what the cap's going to be and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we already know that a lot of people are holding off because, I mean, we don't know not only what the implications are this year, but what about next year and the year after? We don't know. What's the money going to look like? Changes everything because you got to plan out these contracts for several years. So it's hard to do multi-year contracts and you don't have a clue what's going on, especially even more so than a year to year where you kind of get a general idea what the, you know, how much the cap is going to increase because that's all kind of baked in. We don't know anything right now. We got to figure out, I mean, what, 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 what even the baseline of the money coming in is. Where do we even start with it? Then we can start projecting out what the cap is, not just this year because of COVID plus the money, but, but just going forward. When we get past this COVID thing, what, is, what does the cap look like? How much is it going to go up every year? I mean, I, we don't know a single thing. So this is kind of somebody saying, obviously, Jerry has an idea. Again, I don't know that that has to be the case, but I'm going to take that as a good sign that that could very well be the case. I mean, again, we know we're getting close. And we know there's a lot of negotiations going on, and we know that the NFL is under the gun. They should have had information out yesterday, and they, they just they don't have it. It's just it's an absolute failure, in my opinion, of the NFL to not have this worked out. I mean, this is a massive, massive entity, the NFL. We're talking about one of the biggest entities in America. I mean, individual teams are worth billions. You know, we're talking about pushing things back because we don't have our finances in order yet. We don't, we don't have this stuff figured out yet. We need a number, dummy. What's the number going to be? Tell me the number for 2021. What is the salary cap? Well, we need more time. I'm going to strangle you. You got a deadline. <sighs> Anyways, whatever. Point is, again, seems like good news, good news, good news. If we can just keep from killing each other for the next few months, I think we're going to come through this on the other side in fantastic fashion. I don't know if that's possible, but we should we should give it a shot. <laughs> I don't know if we want to be by each other anymore. I don't want to leave my house, and I gotta go be by those people. Just stay in your house, that's stupid. Anyways, we gotta go ahead and take a break. We'll come back on the other side, look at some other news and notes, as well as some of your questions. Probably start with the questions, because, you know, I want to make sure we at least get to them. But uh, there are some other big news uh, items to get to. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, folks, to the soothing sounds of ocean noises. Anyways, I want to kick it off with uh, JJ's question. Since JJ decided he's too good to ask the question in the Facebook group, and I'm going to forget if I go straight to the Facebook group, and then then he'll be mad at me. Uh, do you think Minnesota extends Anthony Harris? Anthony Harris, for those that don't know, is a undrafted free agent. He's one of the guys that, um, when I say that Jerry Gray was a freak with safety, and that every safety that came into Minnesota was good no matter what, one of the prime examples is Anthony Harris, an undrafted free agent that was kind of nobody that became very, 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 very good at football. In 2019, he was given the opportunity to take over a full-time role. I mean, he was kind of a limited third safety kind of guy that always really shined. 2019, he had the opportunity to take on the full-time role, and I believe he was the best safety in football, or at least was one of the best safeties in football. 2020, however, after, after Gray left, he fell off in pretty spectacular fashion. I don't know if there's a direct correlation there with, with uh, Jerry leaving or not. The whole defense, the whole team kind of fell off, but it does kind of throw a wrinkle in all of this. He is getting a little bit older. We're talking about a 29-year-old safety. That's not the end of the line, but we're talking about a 29-year-old, and I bring up the free agent portion of it. In other words, he was undra- He didn't get drafted. 
I bring that up for a reason, because guys that don't get drafted clearly have some kinds of limitations. Now, he was able to overcome that, but I don't know what those limitations are, and, and if I'm the leadership in Minnesota, I'm looking at a guy that did not play well last year, who's 29 years old, who has limitations, and I'm thinking, how much do we want to invest into this guy? The bigger issue, though, is that the Vikings purged a lot of people last year, including a couple safeties. Right now, in terms of guys that anybody's ever heard of, you have the primary two, Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith. Let me say that the other way because it's less confusing. Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, as well as George Iloka. Here's where the problem comes in. George Iloka is a free agent. He's 31 years old. He's probably not coming back, meaning we just have Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. Beyond that, Harrison Smith is in the final year of his contract and is 32 years old. If we don't bring back Anthony Harris or George Iloka, we don't have safeties. We don't have a duo. I mean, we got Josh Metellus, we got Miles Dorn, we got free agency. But the point is, and, and this I've been seeing this a lot with the Vikings, a lot of the time they're put in positions where they don't have a great option. And again, I think this is self-inflicted. And I think generally speaking, they pay their own guys way too much money. Guys like Eric Hendricks or Anthony Barr, ugh, just paying them way too much money. Even Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen, they just paid him because they felt, you know, he's just not getting paid enough. He's such a good wide receiver. He just deserves it. I mean, they're just, they're homers to the extreme. And for that reason, for for all those reasons, it, it seems like Anthony Harris is definitely going to stay. And, and I do think that it's reasonable to expect some kind of a bounce back. You know, I mean, if we can get, you know, we had very young corners, they kind of take a step. Jeff Gladney would look really good down the stretch, so you get some better corners who are growing. We get our pass rushers back. We draft some people, probably want to draft a safety because Harrison Smith probably isn't coming back after this year. That's probably a bigger need than people are looking into. Watch that be the shock that just sends Vikings fans into a downward spiral when they draft a safety in the first round, especially considering there aren't really any <laughs> any safeties that are seen as being that good of a value. But yes, to answer your question, um, I think it's it's a necessity that they bring them back. I think it would be kind of a luxury move if they had drafted well enough to have a replacement ready, and they'd probably need multiple because, again, you, you need a Harrison Smith replacement. The, the thing that excites me about Minnesota is, as much as I talk about, man, I think they can be a real good team this year, they're kind of on the edge, man. They're, I mean, they, they, they're on the edge of either going in a really good path or a really bad path. I mean, they, we don't know what's going on with Kirk and how long he's going to be around. The offensive line is really, really iffy. Not only is it already kind of bad, but they already need a replacement for Riley Reef, their left tackle. I thought that was going to be Ezra Cleveland, but Vikings fans are like, nah, he's going to be a guard. He's going to be like a seven-foot guard, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Dakota Dozier, their left guard, is a free agent. Brett Jones, the center, is a free agent. They have Bradbury, but, you know, um, I don't think they even have a right guard. I mean, they do, but he's not a good enough football player. The only kind of established players that they have is Garrett Bradbury and I'm assuming Brian O'Neill if they like the guy they're going to give him an extension but that is just that is tentative at best uh, Dalvin Cook can't stay healthy Adam Thielen seems to be declining Kirk Cousins is questionable Irv Smith is now their only tight end he's good not great their entire defensive line has devolved into Daniil Hunter and nothing their linebackers are not great they keep taking swings at linebacker and they come up empty Troy Dye is not doing anything Cam Smith, safeties, which was a massive part of the strength of their team, um, has, again, devolved into nothing. Their corners are gone, and they're with a bunch of second-year guys that they're hoping can can produce. So, I mean, it's it's iffy, man. And I think for that reason, they, they got to lock up a guy like Anthony Harris and hope that he can, you know, I mean, Harrison Smith is 32 years old. Um, hopefully you get another three years out of Anthony Harris and, and 
can kind of find a replacement for Harrison Smith, but I doubt it because Harrison Smith is a freak. So if things were different, different, I would say it's it's not a guarantee. But in this situation, why do I keep opening Premier Pro? I mean, it's just going to come on now. I, I love pinning things down on the bottom, but then when I want to just open things up and I click the wrong one, it's super annoying. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, Mr. Eric John Anderson in the Facebook group says, I would still love to see a breakdown of Jabril Cox. In the form of a question, which linebacker would fit best into JB's scheme, free agent or incoming rookie work? So a couple different things going on here. I can't really answer the second part of the question because I don't even know what the scheme is. I know we've talked about Tampa too, but I mean, he's even come out and was like, yeah, this is not a Vic Fangio thing. It's not really a this thing. It's a me thing. It's which, which would lend itself more to the Tampa two thing, because when coach Hahn talked about Joe Barry's scheme, that's when he was talking more about Tampa two. And then when we started talking about Vic Fangio, I was like, well, that's kind of a separate thing. So it's probably Tampa two, which would lend itself to, we really need a good kind of quick coverage linebacker guy. But honestly, I really don't know what's, what's, what's coming now. Would Jabril Cox fit? I, I, I think so. Jabril Cox is honestly, in my opinion, the perfect modern day linebacker that I can't really wrap my head around. Six foot four, 231, basically strictly a coverage linebacker, right? The, the, the linebackers that are making all the hay these days, I mean, there's like two of them that can, that can play the run really well and cover really well. But for the rest of them, the ones that get a lot of attention are guys that can cover but are kind of garbage against the run. Jabril Cox, when he started in, in uh, college at NDSU, he did a decent job against the run and was very, very good in coverage. When he went to a better school, LSU, and the competition got a lot better, his ability to stop the run went to zero, but his coverage did not decline even a little bit. To give you a visual of what that looks like, and we'll leave out 2017, he was just not great in general. He kind of broke out 2018. And remember, this is at NDSU from 2018 and 2019. 2020 was LSU. So small school, small school, big school. In 2018, he had an 84 overall grade, 82 run defense, 87 coverage. 2019, 70 run defense, 85 coverage. LSU, 55 run defense, 83 coverage. So 82, 70, 55 run defense, 87, 85, 83 coverage. NFL passer rating when targeted, 37, 79, 57 at LSU. Now, if you break it down here by a, on a game-to-game basis, he really only had three big games in coverage, so it's kind of iffy. But again, the cumulative effect of this was only 320 yards, which isn't bad. He didn't give up a single touchdown, had three interceptions, four pass breakups, 57 um, passer rating when targeted. Those are some solid stats. And we're talking about big programs. Now it's, it's hard to know exactly, you know, who, and I can go look on a, a game to game basis to see who he went up against or whatever, um, off the top of my head, who has really good tight ends that maybe he covered. I don't know. I, you know, if you really, really want to know, I, I can look into it. But again, I mean, there, there's some, he played against Alabama, two targets, two receptions, 20 yards, no touchdowns, interceptions, or pass breakup. Played against A&M, was targeted 10 times. Only four of those were caught for 31 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions, two pass breakups, 48.3 passer rating when targeted. Played against Ole Miss, which is a just a freakish offense. I love Ole Miss's offense. I'm, I'm infatuated with their quarterback, which many of you probably might remember. I really like their wide receiver that is now in the draft. Four targets, two receptions, 76 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. So even in games like, like this, where it's like you gave up 76 yards, that's kind of a lot. It's like he only gave up two receptions and he had a pick. Um, played against Florida, three targets, one reception for six yards, had two pass breakups. Three targets, two of them he broke up, one of them he gave up for six yards. 
the guy can cover, man. The guy can cover. And and again, if we're talking about a guy that we really want to drop into coverage, he's going to be our coverage linebacker. So we've got, for example, Kamal, who's your smash-you-in-the-mouth linebacker, and our complementary linebacker that's mostly a coverage guy. I think we're talking about a Jabril Cox. In his four years, he's only given up two touchdowns, one of which came in 2017, the year in which things were really horrible. In the last three years, when he kind of broke out, and by the way, 2017, he played 37 snaps, which makes the one touchdown worse, but it, just erase that. From 2018 to 2019, in three years, we're talking 2,300 snaps. One touchdown he gave up. One touchdown, uh, eight interceptions, 11 pass breakups. So yeah, I think he works. As far as where Jabril Cox is probably going to have to be drafted, he's probably going to have to be a second-round pick. Um, According to this consensus big board, he's sitting at about 58. And by the way, he's climbing. Uh, 58 is the highest he's ever been. I mean, in terms of his average. Um, Interestingly enough, Matt Miller, in his most recent mock draft, had the Packers taking him at 29. Actually, I don't know if that was his most recent. I think it was. I don't know. But um, he's he's been in several first-round mocks. Uh, They've seen him go to the Chiefs. The Dolphins, but not very recently. The, the, again, Matt Miller, who is a big-time draft guy, uh, let's see, two and a half weeks ago, had the Packers taking him at 29. And again, you, you could see it. As, as unlikely as it seems that they would take a linebacker, again, he kind of fits the mold of exactly... And if it's true, and I don't know that it is, if it's true that what this defense absolutely needs is a solid coverage linebacker, that in order to run this style of defense, as Coach Hahn said, it's it's kind of important that you have a really good linebacker and a specific kind of linebacker, which, I mean, really, again, it's just the kind that every NFL team is looking for these days, then you could that could potentially happen. A uh, quick little preview um, by the NFL Draft Bible. A mainstay for the national champion, North Dakota State Bisons for three years, linebacker Jabril Cox took the most of his opportunity with LSU in 2020. I don't know what that sentence means. A long athletic linebacker who exhibits tremendous range in athleticism, Cox was a major part of three FCS national championships at NDSU. He boasted excellent stats while at NDSU with 258 tackles, 32 tackles for a loss, and 14 sacks. With the impact he showed at LSU, his traits were shown to be able to transcend any competition level. That's another part of this that's really, really exciting that I think that um, I think that a guy like Joe Barry would love. He's really good at bringing pressure as well. In fact, the last two years, he's graded out really well as a pass rusher. Um, they mentioned his, he didn't have any sacks in LSU. In fact, I don't know where they get the 14 sacks from. According to PFF, he has nine in his four years, but 10 pressures on 36 attempts. So he never got the quarterback down, but about one in three times when he got sent, he got to the quarterback. One in three, one in four, whatever. Um, his, in 2019 at NDSU, 16 pressures in 45 attempts and five sacks. And then the year before that, 19 of 65 and four sacks. So, and, and, and that's part of what you get with a guy like this. He's, uh, you know, 6'4", 231. He's got blazing fast speed. That's what's cool about it. It kind of reminds me of Darnell Savage. One of the reasons I love Darnell Savage being close to the line of scrimmage is he, his ability to bail real fast is, I mean, so, so he can drop, right? You look at it and say, we don't have a safety deep. He can be deep in a second, but he can also get to the quarterback real fast if we decide to bring him. Jabril Cox is that same kind of a guy. If we want to, we, we, we can, we can kind of mug him up to the line of scrimmage and have him bail deep and still get deep or, or bail wherever it is we need him to bail, or we can bring him. Likewise, you can just keep him in the, the general linebacker box and he can bail or, or come for the, the quarterback. And either way, he's going to get there very quickly. 
Now, again, I'm hoping Joe Barry does a better job of of scheming guys to the quarterback than Mike Pettin did, because that was one of the more pathetic things I've ever seen with their complete inability to have open holes to run through, right? You'd, you'd see somebody coming from deep, whether it be a linebacker or a safety, and he would just run into a massive pile. Like, what is that? There's nowhere for him to go. Just, I mean, you might as well just take him off the field. Just go, as soon as the ball snapped, just jog off the field for me. Same thing. It's very frustrating. Um, I'm actually out of time, so I want to run through really quick some news and notes that uh, are from the NFL, or however you say that. And then we got to get going. We will get back to some more questions starting tomorrow. We just ran out of time. Um, another guy that got franchised was Brandon Scherf. Yikes. Brandon Scherf is a guard for Washington. He's going to be getting about $18 million, which is way too much money. That's silly. It was kind of expected. I think I'd mentioned on this podcast before they're expecting to uh, do that again. Just staggering. I mean, you want to talk about spending too much money in, in one place. I'd rather pay 20% of my quarterback than whatever that is. Well, 10%, I guess, to a guard. 10% of all my money to a guard. That's just brutal. Um, some other big news out of uh, the draft. Um, this is Jason Owen. I'm guessing he means Jason Oway. Another really talented guy. He's an edge rusher. Not impossible for the Packers to go that way. But apparently this six foot five, 252-pound edge rusher ran a laser-timed 4.38. As uh, Dara put it on Twitter, that's it's too bad that this wasn't an official combine number because that might be the most impressive 40 time in history, and I don't know that he's wrong. A 4.38 for any edge rusher is ridiculous. But this guy's 255 pounds, 6 foot 5. That's, that's unbelievable. That's absolutely ridiculous. To make things even better, this last year that he played, and he has never played a ton of snaps, uh, 347 snaps in 2020 is the most he's ever played, but he really broke out as a run defender this year. In his first two years, he never really did much as a run defender. This past year, he graded out as basically elite, and it wasn't the fluky thing where there was like three good games and the rest were garbage. Every single game, with the exception of Ohio State, where he graded out as average, was very good against the run. So we're talking about this 252-pound guy with blazing fast speed that can play the run. The question is, can he rush the passer? Technically, based on his pressures, yes. 20 pressures on 171 attempts is more than 10%. That's fine. 10 pressures came week eight against Indiana. 10. So you want to see the guy just just destroy, go watch him against Indiana. Otherwise, watch any other game. So he had 10 pressures on his other 135 uh, snaps, which is less than 10%. He also didn't have a single sack all year. I don't put a ton of stock in sacks, but if you're getting zero, that's problematic to me. So there's something clearly off here, but if he really runs a 4-3-8, somebody's going to get super excited and snag this guy. Definitely are some questions, though. Uh, 2019, 31 pressures on 207 attempts, 5 sacks. That's a extremely impressive group of numbers there. Uh, Damon Harrison, apparently, and I don't have any idea how good this source is, but apparently he wants $5 million a year. Again, take that report with a grain of salt. Do I think the Packers will pay that? No, I don't. Is he worth that? Can he get that somewhere? Probably. I'm just, I'm not super interested. I know it's not that much money, but we don't have that much. I mean, we can only do a couple of those, especially when it's a one-year deal, which it probably will be. That means we're paying him $5 million. It's not like somebody else that you pay $5 million to over three years and his cap hit this year is 1.8 or something, you know? No, it's 5.0. Jets are placing a franchise tag on Marcus May. Marcus May is a very good football player. He kind of flies under the radar. He doesn't really get a lot of attention. He's, He's really, really good. 
Uh, Dak Prescott obviously got his deal. Good for him. Happy for him. He's a very good quarterback. I would venture to say underrated. I think for a long time he was overrated. I think at this point in his career, he might be underrated because the Cowboys are just garbage and everybody laughs at him now. Back when the Cowboys were very good, everybody said Dak's the greatest thing ever, especially when he took over for Romo. It was a big thing. He's so great. He's so elite and he's just kind of mediocre, I guess, especially when you t- take into account how much his, you know, surrounding cast helped him. Best offensive line one of the better ones in history with Ezekiel Elliott just smashing everybody. I mean, you know, but this past year he was very, very good and there were a lot of issues with the team and anyways, good for him. Seahawks have released Carlos Dunlap, which uh, makes me chuckle a little bit because now they're just less good than they were before, which was already not great. So without Dunlap, I mean, jeez, I don't know. I don't know what they have. Basically nothing. I mean, they got LJ Collier who they drafted in the first round, but I mean, you want to talk about a team that just cannot hit on a first round pick. Yikes. Collier did take a step, but he took a step from worst pass rusher in football to 77th out of 125, so well done. Then you have 34-year-old Bruce Irvin, who, um, I mean, you know, just, no, gross. Played two snaps last year. So kudos to uh, Seattle, just killing it over there. Best GM in the world. Uh, We got more news saying that it seems iffy that the Lions are going to tag Kenny Galladay. I I mentioned this a while ago, that just the way that they've been talking... I said it's one of two things. Either they're not going to tag the guy, like they're they're genuinely considering letting him walk, or this is all kind of negotiation tactic. But it just, it seems more and more like they're just not willing, and you kind of understand it. I mean, when you're this bad, and you've got a whole new regime, and you come in, you don't really have any atten- attachment to Kenny Galladay. You can recognize he's a really good player, but we've got so much work to do. And, I, and just like what we talked about, about not wanting too much money tied up in one spot, if I'm the new GM and I'm the new coach and I'm the new vice president, all these different new people in there. And you're looking at building this team from the ground up. You're really limiting yourself if you give, geez, what would he get? What, what, what would he be demanding? I mean, he wants more than 20 million for sure. So he wants more than 10% of, of our total cap. Now, we'll probably be drafting a quarterback at some point so we can save a little bit of money there. And by the time he gets paid, Kenny's probably gone. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's just, it kind of hurts a little bit. So I, you're just less likely to be forced into doing something you don't want to do, especially locking up a lot of your money into one guy that you didn't draft, that you didn't bring in. It just would just, it would just blow my mind. I mean, if they don't have Kenny Galladay, that team's not winning a team, that, a game. It's a little hyperbolic, but I mean, it's just, he's all that team has. And I would love it. I would love every second of it, depending where he goes. He'd probably go somewhere that ends up beating us and that's going to make me cry. In all, in all honesty, I kind of hope he stays because, I mean, it's not going to help him win football games. Maybe a couple, but yikes. Uh, the Bears says not likely to exercise option on Bobby Massey. I talked about that before. There's a chance that he is a cap casualty, and it looks like he will be. The We've talked about how the Bears offensive line has been terrible, and it just got a lot, lot, lot worse. This is absolutely p- painful because you can argue that Bobby Massey was the best player that they had on the offensive line. I mean, Cody Whitehair is decent, but I mean, he's nowhere near what he was when he got drafted. I mean, his rookie year was like, oh my goodness, this guy's going to be amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, he's kind of fallen off. Charles Leno's kind of good, not great. I mean, they they just they just lost their right tackle. They, he's he's gone. Um, you got uh, James Daniels, who again kind of expected him to be a big deal. He's mediocre at best. So again, this this declining offensive line just took a massive step backwards because they do not have a right tackle right now. And guess who's going to replace them? Probably not the team that hasn't had a draft pick in five years. They're probably not going to have a replacement waiting in the wings. How much you want to bet? You want to know the last time they had an early round investment in uh, 
in an offensive tackle? Well, so do I, because I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they they drafted Jermaine Effetti, who is listed here as a tackle, although he was drafted as a guard in the first round in 2016. The only other early round guy is Jason Spriggs, who the Packers took in the second round of 2016. Otherwise, they have undrafted free agent Rashad Coward, who they took in 2017. Bobby Massey was a fourth round pick. He is now gone. Charles Leno is a seventh round pick. This team needs a tackle so badly. And as much as these mock drafts have, you know, everybody wants Mac Jones and all that, I think they're a lock to take a tackle at this point. They have to, unless a quarterback falls to him. But again, they're going to have to trade up to get him. That's just been, I mean, almost every quarterback that goes in the first round, a team trades up for. I don't know the last time somebody's letting a quarterback fall into their lap. The Packers traded up to get um, love. I mean, it's just, unless they're the first overall pick. I mean, it just generally, if it's not just one, two, you know, at quarterback or whatever, you're trading up to get them. And just as many holes as they have, they cannot be given up second round picks, third round picks, whatever, to move up and get quarterbacks. They have to sit and they have to get a tackle. It's just, they just, it's just brutal. If you want to take a swing in free agency, go for it, but don't be giving up draft capital for it, which they probably will. I just, they can't stop. Um, We'll do one final interesting thing here. Uh, somebody for you to check out as far as draft prospects. How about wide receiver Amari Rogers? Why? Well, I would queue it up if I wasn't already 15 minutes over, but I don't want to take that much time. Amari Rogers was asked at the end of this interview with Brandon Marshall, and you can see this probably in several different places, but uh, if you go to Hog NFL, H-O-G-G NFL on Twitter, he has a video of Brandon Marshall. He's going around doing interviews of some of these guys who are doing training things. I don't know what's going on. Alternative to the combine or something. I don't know. But he was asked a bunch of questions, and he said, all right, best case scenario, where do you get picked? He said, second round to the Green Bay Packers. Think about that. That's not only cool because he says he wants to be a Packer and play with Aaron Rodgers, which is always just an awesome thing. But the guy just got done saying he kind of hopes he's like can go into the first round. You would think he would want to just say, I expect a guy like this to say, I want to go, you know, first round to the Packers, maybe. Or, or if he's going to say second round, like an early team, something like that. He's saying, listen, if I go at the back of the second and I end up with Aaron Rodgers, that's the best thing that could happen. I don't care who, you know, I don't, you know, could get picked up by the Jets in the second round and it would be a lot earlier and it would reflect better on me, but I want to play for Aaron Rodgers. And he had to think about it. I'm sure he's got, uh, you know, maybe there's a close second, but um, that's just fantastic. And the fact that he comes out of Clemson, it, it just, I mean, he played for one of the premier, one of the better quarterbacks in football and they had some great chemistry and and it's just, he just, he wants that again, you know? He wants another really, really talented quarterback that can just put the ball right where it needs to be. So, uh, again, if you're just looking for a, for a wide receiver to root for, Amari Rogers is sitting there on draft day saying, please, please take me Packers. And, um, I mean, for that reason alone, you like the guy, right? So, anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.